0: This week on a lively experiment, Governor McKee wants to lower the state sales tax. Several lawmakers say not low enough. And should students at Rhode Island College join their counterparts at CCRI and also receive two years of taxpayer funded tuition? A lively experiment is
1: generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode
0: Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Raymond Bakari, editor-in-chief of the Anchor newspaper at Rhode Island College, Republican strategist Lisa Pelosi, and political contributor Rob Horowitz. Welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. Shortly after Governor McKee proposed lowering Rhode Island's sales tax from 7% to 6.85% earlier this month, the Senate's minority leader had a different idea, saying it should be lowered to 5%. Now, two House Democrats agree that the governor's proposed reduction is not enough, filing a bill recently to set the rate at 6%. Lisa, I think a lot of us, we've talked about this, a lot of this when the governor was talking about this, thought that it would be a little bit bolder I don't know if the economics work, but I hear a lot of people out there saying it's just not enough.
2: Well, they, you know, that was my expectation. He just came off a very strong November election where he won sizably. So he had a mandate. So the first time, the first year coming out of an election like this, this is when you ha- should have your boldest initiatives going forward. You know, think big or go home. It should be the way you do it. So when he came out with a reduction from 7 to 6.8, I sat back and I was trying to do the math, you know, as a liberal arts major. And I'm thinking, you know, a big ticket item, $1,000. Refrigerator instead of spending $70 on tax, I'm going to pay $68.50. You know, is that really going to make a difference? And then I started thinking about all the lack of circulation of coins right now. So when you go and you spend a dollar instead of a dollar seven, it's going to be a dollar six point eight five, you know, six. I'm thinking, what's the coin for that, you know? So then it got me remembering Governor Lincoln Chafee had his tax proposal and he was looking at it in a broad way. Because we do tax certain things, but we don't tax clothes and whatever. So I think instead of doing that very small incremental, he should step back and really look. If you really want to make a change, look at the overall tax policy.
0: The rub on that, Rob, though, is that once you make that, like the reduction of the car tax, you don't want to go back. And so if you lower it a percent, that translates into probably hundreds of millions of dollars.
1: I think that's right, but then it makes, and I guess he did make a campaign promise he wanted to keep, but it doesn't make (laughs) me want, candidly, I think the whole sales tax cut, sales tax issue is kind of overblown. If you look at the research, um, unless there's big, huge differences in the sales tax, which there's not between Massachusetts and Rhode Island, Connecticut, um, it doesn't really impact very much bordering neighboring businesses. So if you're not going to do a a really significant cut, uh, just from a public policy point of view, I would do no cut. I think I, I kind of agree with Lisa. Let, let's look at the overall tax structure. There are, there are other taxes here that are that, that, are, that are much worse, as, especially because we exempt food and we exempt health care.
0: What about the five percent that Jessica De La Cruz said? Is that big enough in your mind, or is that
3: It's, the it's big even enough, bigger? but
1: I think it's too much money.
0: Okay
3: certainly going to be an interesting issue to hear more about as the session continues, and as we get into the budgeting process later on in the session at the General Assembly. It's also uh, <coughs> uh, worth mentioning there are two bills. One of them you referenced H 5239, which would lower it to uh, six. H oh, 5192, which would lower it to six percent. Uh, it has the sponsors of Joe Solomon, uh, some of the more moderate Democrats like Charlene Lima, uh, Brian Patrick Kennedy, just to name a few. And then, uh, recently there was also another bill introduced, H5239, which would create a sales tax holiday, kind of like our neighboring state Massachusetts does. And I find it interesting. They have it from August 12th through the 13th, just one day before Massachusetts starts from, which would be from the 13th to the the 14th. All
0: right, folks, if you think the Rick students don't do their homework, (laughs) here we go. Raymond comes prepared. I think, I mean, this is interesting that you have some Democrats doing this, but if it's not written into the governor's budget initially, that's a really, that's a tough poll, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but you know what it does? It allows him to go across the state and say, I want to lower your taxes, You know, so it gives them that talking point. But I think one media outlet said it would be about $77 per person savings for the overall year. If you really want to just give money back to the taxpayers, just give them $100 and let them go spend it instead of trying to do something so small, incremental as 7 to 685
0: yeah, with a six hundred million dollar, I think a lot of people say it's not a two hundred million dollar surplus. It's six hundred million, and it may go up with the with the, re, uh, the May revenue estimating <laughs> conference. What about cutting checks like Massachusetts did, even a two hundred fifty or five hundred dollar check?
1: I, I think that would be a, a better way to go. Simply because also that's that's if you're worried about the sort of structural long term um, deficit in the state and sustainable long term finances, that's a one time expenditure. So. I think that would have been much preferable to do that, do it as a property tax rebate or just, or just cut a check.
3: I think that's a a strong proposal too. Uh, We do have a $610 million expected uh, surplus from the fiscal year 23 budget. Why not give the relief, yeah,
0: Rob. What about other legislative things that you're looking at now? The governor in his state of the state, he said something interesting. It was one line. Let's let's pass an assault rifle ban. Didn't really say much more about it. The um, state subsidized uh, for abortion with the uh, with the Medicaid or Medicare money. Um, what are your thoughts about as the is that something that's going to be a discussion point or is that just a nice point in the state of the state and then you move on?
1: I, I do think that the um the expanding the right to the right to, ch- to choose to people who are impoverished which is essentially and the state employees um, by covering that by insurance is going to go this year um, because of the Dobbs decision something that you would, would never have gone in Rhode Island five years ago but because of the Dobbs decision um, you can see the change in the leadership and so I think that's going to go. I think the assault weapons ban's got a fighting chance but since we limited um, high capacity magazines last year. Um, I think there's less of a chance of that. The area I'm looking at is we're, we're making a big bet and we should on affordable housing, but there's still big problems in terms of citing affordable housing, in terms of density to see, and, and Governor McKee's been opposed to doing anything about about um, loosening, making some state um, moves to, 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 to not allow local zoning to be so restrictive. But I I do think there's some momentum behind that because if you're really going to meet the affordable housing objectives, you can't have these communities standing in the way.
3: Similar to Rob, uh, a couple issues that are on my radar that I'm looking at while covering the session, the EACA, it was included in the governor's budget. There, I have, uh, uh, I believe it's going to pass, uh, it was a big issue during the campaign ever since the Dobbs decision. And they have the votes for it. Yeah, exactly. It, the Senate, it was It was tough getting past that last session, but now the pressure's really on. They all just won re-election to another term, so they have plenty of time to do it. And since it's in the budget, I have a high. Believe, I believe that's going to pass, and the uh, assault weapons ban will probably pass too. Uh, I read it was an article. I believe it was published two days ago. Uh, we're not even in February yet, and there's been 39 mass shootings. Just an alarming statistic and very tragic.
0: Yeah, that, but that's always been that's been the big issue that turns people out. Um, it's been incremental with gun control, right. but I wonder. Uvalde is really what drove it last year. They weren't going to do anything on gun control until the end of the session, and then Uvalde happened.
2: Yeah, you know, excuse me, I'm not sure that we're going to go in the direction of the assault weapon ban. But there are other issues that we started talking about last year that maybe we'll address this year about looking more at the mental health you know, issue um, background checks, you know, because it it doesn't seem right that you can buy a gun in the morning and then the afternoon use it, you know, so I think we can, you know, waiting
0: periods, waiting
2: periods, you know, that that, I think that will, you know, should something that we should look at. So I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about the um, Medicaid money for abortions because, um, I, I think the votes m- were there by the sponsorship on that bill. But I do think that this um, General Assembly can be a little bit more conservative even though they're Democrats. So I don't know if those are slam dunks that are going to happen this year. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on how those play out. But if the governor
0: includes it in his budget, then it's not its not like it's a one-item thing. You would have to really vote against it. You'd have to have the House Committee, the Finance Committee take it out if that were exactly. the case. Or you have the, I mean, it's a it's a creative way to not hide it. But I mean, clearly... You're not going to vote if you have the votes. You're going to not reject the whole budget on that one thing. Yeah. I think, but maybe people will take a stand on. Yes,
2: yeah, so, I mean we don't have a line-item veto with the General Assembly, so it's either all or you know, or try to amend something like that. So that could be that, exactly that way that it gets passed through because it's in the omnibus bill.
0: Yeah, what about that, Rob? You'd have to. it's a that's a heavy lift. To have to reject the whole thing.
1: I think that's right, but I. I I also think that it's that that's going to pass separately because you may also be the budget. You may also need need some other. I don't know this authorization legislation. I think that is going to pass. Um, I, I agree. It's been traditionally Rhode Island's legislature is more conservative, but if but I think the leadership. I could be wrong, but I think both the and Rogerio are aligned this year on that. Just as um, at some point the momentum for um, for pass for codifying Roe v. Wade pre pre Dobbs that took a long that that took a time to build. But even though the leadership at that point, Mattiello, I believe, and Ruggiero were both pro-life, they realized that passing it was in everybody's interest because of the momentum. I think just the momentum because, because of um, the this, this strong reaction to the Dobbs decision um, over, overturning Roe v. Wade, those kinds of um, choice issues have moved in a direction where it will pass.
0: Raymond, I'm interested, you did a lot of interviews over the course of last fall of all different candidates. You clearly focus on Providence, rightly so, because that's where Rick is and you're a Providence resident. I'm wondering about the makeup of the General Assembly now. You see some progressives coming in like Enrique Sanchez, who knocked off uh, Anastasia Williams. What about that? Are they going to make some noise or is this kind of a, okay, we're here, but we need to build a little momentum?
3: It's I mean the caucus uh, of progressives increased compared to last session so I I believe the momentum's there, and it's it's only a matter of time where it'll get more progressive. We've seen uh, the Rhode Island Political Cooperative; they had the aggressive goal of having 50 candidates. Uh, they ended up having, I believe, it was something in the 20s, but they were primarying a lot of incumbents. Uh, for example, House 21 Rep. Camille vella Wilkinson, she had a quite nail-biter of a primary. So it's it's only a matter of time.
0: But the results at the end, they kind of flamed out. They had one right. one or two people maybe do well. What about a 13.7? billion dollar budget we i look back and you now facebook says 5 years ago today and, you know, of course, I post all this on Facebook. We were talking about a $10 billion budget or a 9.5, and here we are at nearly $14 billion.
2: And so, you know, so much of it is the federal money, too, you know. So that's what's happened over time. But, yeah, when you say that number and you think of small Rhode Island and that's the size of the budget, it just kind of blows your mind that, you know, that's how much money that we're talking. So I think another thing that we're going to be keeping our eyes on are any new initiatives that are one-timers versus baked into the budget, you know. So there's so much money to be spent, we we want to really keep an eye because once it's part of that budget down, in those down years that we can expect, where's the money going to come to cover?
0: And Speaker Sakachi has talked about that, investment rather than spending.
2: But it doesn't seem sustainable. I mean, where
0: are we going to be four years from now?
2: I I don't know where we're going to be, but I think the members tend to have that short term looking because of the short sessions that we have, that they don't tend to look down the road, you know, to do that. So um, someone's going to have to be the watchdog on that. So maybe it'll be the, how many, 14 Republicans that we have? Yeah, yeah there you
0: go. <laughs> yeah, the phone booth had to expand just a little bit. But I also wonder, well, so what, are, so what about the budget at 13.7?
1: Well, g- given the federal influx and, and some of that needs to be spent as well, um, um, the, the budget the budget of 14.7 is probably not sustainable, so, so to everyone's point, it's important to make strategic smart one-time or two-time investments, and, and, that, and to get back to affordable housing, that, that is an investment we, we you know, $250 million, we, 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 which we are making, which we need to make in this state. Now it's really going to be up to as much as the legislature, which needs to, to still make some corrections here and, and, uh, and override the governor, not necessarily a veto, on, on setting statewide rules as California and other states have done who have experienced similar problems that have worked. You also have to have real implementation. And, and, and that's an executive function. It's going to be on McKay.
0: Um, affordable housing, it's interesting because there is a, there's a little bit of a uh, disparity between what I read from Speaker Secarchi and Senate President Magirio about this whole loosening of the zoning. And that's really going to be a problem, I think, in some of the suburban communities. It's going to be like they've talked about there was a bill that went down or got modified last year about land banking. OK, you have to come up with a registry of all your vacant buildings. Well, then that, you know, local officials yeah. begin their, their hackles go up a little bit on that.
2: Yeah, but it can't be not in my backyard. You know, we have to look at this. This isn't just an issue in the city of Providence or Winsocket or <coughs> Central Falls. This is an issue for the entire state. So we have to collectively come together. Municipalities need to come together and say, okay, how do we collectively address the housing issue across the board? And I think we're all looking to Stefan Pryor to come in and really take the reins and come up with the short-term, mid-term and long-term plan of how to address housing in the state. And if we can make that happen, I think that's going to be a very successful measure for the governor.
0: You're right in the middle of it with rent. I can imagine for, I mean, you're in school, but then getting out and having to face these huge rents and, you know, how's my salary going to square with that?
3: Housing is a multifaceted and complicated issue, and I, uh, I agree with Lisa on so, for, with her answer. It's going to take an all hands on deck approach. You're going to need the municipalities to get in there and talk with the governor, changing the zoning, uh, maybe rent control. That's been introduced. Uh, there was a bill introduced at the state level for that. Uh, that's been a topic of conversation in Providence. Rent control, which it could pass now that the council is more, uh, more progressive and spending that 250 million dollars in, uh, in ARPA money, we might talk about the proposals, but uh, for example McKee proposed 30 million out of that 250 million to go to um, the, uh, the the grant for the, the first time home buyers. Like and the $17,000. Yep, yep. yep. right. And then Senator Miller and Rep Bennett came out with an ambitious proposal, a pilot program Uh, testing the effectiveness of using uh, Medicaid money, uh, waiver funds for uh, housing. It's going to need a lot of solutions. It's not a one size fits all. Does rent control work?
1: I don't think, it depends on the situation. The, the problem with rent, rent control and say, say like Providence is it's a disincentive to build new housing because if, if people can't get rate of return, so in, in some ways it's, it's a disincentive to build affordable housing because if, if you know you can't get a, a sufficient rate of return, so I'm not big on rent control. Some places it's worked. Um, but I'm not big on rent control as a solution because cause we just have an affordable housing shortage and a housing shortage, and so you want to you have incentives to build housing, not disincentives. Uh, j- just to get back to one point, though, I-, I think we can get the municipalities together. Realistically, the m- municipalities are going to, or at least enough of them are <coughs> going to oppose any kind of, of statewide regulations, and you're going to need statewide regulations that overrides not all local zoning, but some local zoning to make this all work.
0: What about Stephan Pryor? As housing secretary.
2: I think he knows how to bring people to the table and negotiate and get things done. So I'm I'm excited that he's coming on board. I was a little wishing that he would start sooner. You know, yeah,
0: February 6th. Yeah. Well, I do know I actually ran into him. This is so Rhode Island. I spent uh, two and a half hours in line with him at a wake oh, <laughs> in no. uh, late December. So we got to talk about a lot of stuff. And he was doing something in the private sector. So maybe it was he need to extricate himself or finish a product a project. But he comes on board, I think, the first week of February.
2: And he knows he knows the state. He knows people. He knows how to bring people together. And I'm looking to, ha- you know, a little bit more creative out of the box thinking that maybe needs to be done. Like, look at all the old Benny sites. You know, can we convert them into, you know, affordable housing and because they're usually on transportation lines because they're in commercial, we'll have to change laws and zoning to make it happen. But I'm looking at, you know, how do we turn this around and maybe go to blighted properties and change them and improve neighborhoods? There's so many different ways that we can take all this billions of dollars or millions of dollars and, and make it, you know, something worthwhile for the state.
0: All right. It's, uh, it's actually coincidental that we have Raymond here this week because there's a lot going on at Rhode Island College. Now, I know Raymond, I'm the advisor for the Anchor, so I see him every week. There's a lot of stuff going on. Let's talk about the first issue is that you came across a bill that would model what they did at CCRI. So set the table. Uh, it's, in effect, it's a taxpayer-subsidized
3: Absolutely. So the bill is uh, H-5099, the Rhode Island uh, Hope Scholarship uh, Pilot Program Act. So it would fund a pilot program that would start July 1, 2023, and go to January 1, 2029, so about five, six years. And it would provide the tuition free for the last two years at RIC, the junior and senior years. There's a couple of uh, contingencies and requirements. Applicants must be eligible for in-state tuition. You have to fill out the FAFSA form, be on track to graduate, meaning uh, to obtain at least 60 credits toward an eligible program of study as determined uh, by RIC, and a GPA of 2.5 or higher.
0: We've talked about, though, with Rick, how the promise has affected Rhode Island College. And I get the feeling from the Rick perspective that has fallen on deaf ears to a large extent at the Statehouse.
3: Yeah, the Promise Program definitely affected enrollment and COVID, too, for, for that matter. Um, this bill may even help enrollment. There's uh, quite a few uh, alumni of the college who have co-sponsored it. The main sponsor is uh, Rep. Joe McNamara, who's also the state party chair. The, the Rick alumni who co-sponsored are Reps uh, Sanchez, Felix, and uh, Nathan Baia, just to, just name a couple of them. Uh, one thing I found interesting about the bill, I um, published an article for The Anchor uh, l- last night, actually, uh, after interviewing uh, Rep. Sanchez, uh, the co-sponsor, and Rep. McNamara, the main sponsor. Rep at McNamara, one of the things I asked him was uh, if you get the first two years at CC, would you get this? If you qualified for the Promise program, you wouldn't be eligible for this. And there's a, another contingency, too, that I should have mentioned. You have to stay in Rhode Island for at least two years after graduation, with several exceptions, like military service, ROTC training, chronic illness, and um uh, do you want to talk about the price tag?
0: That's very... Did they have an overall price tag?
3: So he said there was no fiscal note yet, but I did ask him uh, how would it compare to the seven approximately $7 million of the Promise program. Uh, he said, quote, I think it might be around the same area, maybe a little lower. Uh, you also have to factor in things like uh, students who qualify for this likely will get Pell Grants too.
0: Right. There's, hey, it's very un-Rhode Island. There's no double dip, Rob. It's, <laughs> it's astounding. Um, your thought on this?
1: I'm all for... Um, making colleges more affordable and and Rick plays a unique role. I do think just in terms of the practical politics of this, you're probably going to get objections from URI. Why should they be the only school excluded? There's some probably good reasons why Rick makes more sense. Um, So what I, I think where this may head and would be to, make the requirements more narrow. In other words, we have a real need in this state for math and science teachers. Rick produces a lot of teachers. Why not make this available, at least, especially since it's a pilot program, first at least for, for anyone who commits to be a math and science teacher in Rhode Island, for five years or 10 years. I think, I think that kind of narrow targeting is probably where I think this should begin.
0: I think the Senate president talked about that, wanting to give incentives for the, in targeted sectors.
2: Which would be a better way to go. So um, I'm like you Rob, I'm overall the concept of affordable higher education is great. But when we started it with CCRI, there were a lot of uh, um, concerns that I had about the program. One that it wasn't means tested. And here we go again so what happens is the um, folks who qualify for Pell Grants you know they get their the the remaining amount gets covered but if you're a full pay student the the state of Rhode Island pays for you because you don't qualify for Pell Grants. So the more affluent student can get more state money than a student who needs the money you know through Pell Grants so I, I know that's kind of getting into the weeds here and I didn't see in the bill that the students who qualify and use it have to stay for two years. I thought it was more of a commitment to stay. I didn't know that that was, you know, qualified, you know, there. So, and you were right. A couple years ago, I remember the former president of URI, Dr. David Dooley, went to the state house to testify against the bill when um, the former Rhode Island College president, Frank Sanchez, was trying to advocate for it. So what happens is we have a domino effect. You started with CCRI. If Rick gets approved, then URI is going to be knocking on the door right now. Now and is this the best way to go?
0: You know what's interesting. When I I just remember this, when I was in at North Carolina many many years ago, they actually the state cut a check to North Carolina residents going to private schools in state. The feeling being it's one less body that we would have to pay for in a public education. Does Rhode Island do any of that? With it, I know you work for private. Yeah. uh, College.
2: So, so the original Rhode Island Promise scholarship before um, former Governor Raimondo changed it was to allow any student in Rhode Island going to a uh, higher, ed, higher education institution to qualify for the scholarship and the uh, institutions would match it. So if the state gave a, a half a million dollars, the institution would match and that would be a million dollars scholarship. Then she came up with a proposal for free you know, tuition at, at CCRI and then she started lowering the amount of money that was available for the original Promise scholarship. So I'm here. I'm just wondering where that's going to go under McKee's budget going forward. And
0: the other thing is just look like the other proposal with the sales tax. This is not baked into the governor's budget. So we're having a nice discussion about it. The reality is this is probably the trial balloon and then maybe down the line. I don't you don't get a sense that you think this is really going to go anywhere this
3: year, do you? Anything's possible. I don't want to. Uh, uh, you sound ban- like Speaker Sakaki. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't we'll
0: want take to get <laughs> under advisement. We'll put it through the I, committee hot
3: process. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to give a bold prediction because I'm not in the General Assembly. But I did. Uh, <laughs> at, so for the two years, to clarify, it does say commitment in the bill. But the two years was what Rep. McNamara told me when I uh, okay. interviewed him uh, the, the other day over the it's phone. Um, he did. I did ask him. Did he talk to leadership and the governor? And did he talk to Rick, President Warner? Uh, for Dr. Warner, he told me Dr. Warner was quote very excited about the bill. Uh, for uh, the governor, he said that he talked to the governor's six months ago and that the governor uh, seemed uh, enthusiastic about it and then we reached out, the anchor reached out to Senate President Ruggiero and we got the kind of the similar uh, sentiment it will receive thorough, well not like the excited part but uh, that will receive thorough and serious consideration. The governor
0: apparently was not excited enough to put it into his budget. He might have been excited six months ago. Last thought on that?
1: There's a a logic to the community, and not that there's not any logic to this because there's some, there's a logic to the community college uh, because that's sort of the entry level for everybody. Um, who, who isn't going to go to a four year university and then you can transfer after two years. And, and free community college is sort of a national goal. At least we've had at least some people, part of our country has had for a while. So I get the community college thing. Once you expand it beyond that, there just, there just may be more cost efficient ways to to get, to make sure the students that really need the money get it. Uh, I'm sort of on my hobby horse. But I do, I, I do like the notion of, of making this a more targeted thing initially and seeing how it goes. And Rick's, Rick performs a very valuable function. And if Raymond is an example of the kinds of people that come out of Rick, we should encourage more and more people to go to Rick. <laughs> Thank hey, you, Rob, I appreciate it. He's doing his, uh,
0: doing his homework. Let's go to uh, outrages and or kudos. Lisa, let's start with you this week.
2: So a couple of weeks ago, you had one of my favorite shows when you bring on the leaders of the General Assembly. So I'm watching That's one of my favorite too. Yeah, I'm yeah.
0: on the same page. You know,
2: so I'm sitting back and I'm enjoying the conversation and you bring up the um, topic of a four affordable housing. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go. So the members, you know, rightfully said all the work that they've done at the General Assembly, all the money that they've approved uh, for the housing programs, but they just questioned the execution of it. And I'm thinking, where's the outrage? We know, we know a year ago we had the encampment at the, at the state house. We knew winter was going to come. We had the General Assembly, you know, spend all that money or approve all that money in the budget. So where was the planning process to, you know, to uh, address this issue? And I was waiting for one member on the panel to say, Critical, you know, constructive criti- criticism of the McKee administration and for how they really dropped the ball. And none of them did. And it just made me realize the complacency that we have in the state when we have such a dominant one party. So the Democrats on the, on the, in the leadership did not want to go after the McKee administration. And the Republicans are so beaten down for being in the minority for so many years that they were, they were timid in their response. And I thought, boy, I guess, you know, the best thing is that we've been blessed with a mild winter that we haven't had more issues, you know, with people outside you know, trying to find shelter.
0: Yeah, and the overriding factor on that was money doesn't solve all problems, it's the execution. And that was kind of the theme of the show. And I don't know whether I agreed with you, I thought they would be a little bit more outraged, but maybe they were being polite, let's put it that way. Rob, what do you have?
1: My outrage is what's going on in Florida right now. Um, and and I'm all for a few more, not too many more Republicans in the General Assembly, I mean a Democrat, but but and hopefully not Republicans like Rhonda DeSantis. Um, there's been an A- Associated, uh, excuse me, an AP course on Associated Press uh, developed on African American studies nationally by by um, the Educational Testing Service. It's pretty um, down the middle, down the road, um, and Florida has banned it right now because it is too woke, um, which is sort of Ron Sanders' MO. And this would be voluntary, and so Florida students at this point are being denied the the ability to take an AP course in, in African American studies because it... Um, fits Ron DeSantis's narrative to uh, to ban it, and there's no there's no merit to it. And,
0: and you kind of wonder is does he really believe all this, or is he playing to the base for his presidential campaign? And that's what's sad is that you know I mean education should be sacrosanct. Don't you can have your political views, but stay out of the educational process.
1: I think it's a combination, and it's and it's an interesting case because one person's indoctrination is somebody else's education. At the same time, he's banning this. He's taking the new college in Sarasota. Um, and turning it into a conservative bash, and I guess that's not indoctrination.
3: All right,
0: you get the last 45
3: seconds. Uh, I have a quick uh, kudo, quick outrage, probably more on the lighthearted side and not as political. My outrage, the uh, Celtics lost yesterday to the New York Knicks. At, uh, it Jason was, Tatum had a wide open
0: <laughs> shot. Man, it was and he uh, missed it.
3: quite painful. My kudo, uh, since we're sticking with the theme of uh, beginning of the session, I want to talk, highlight one more bill that caught my eye. H5055, uh, it would allow 17-year-olds who turn 18 by that November election to vote in a primary. Uh, it's big for the fall birthdays like myself.
0: All right. So listen, next time Raymond comes on, you all need to have pen and paper because he's <laughs> going to give you the actual bill number, just like Lisa did in the past. Um, folks, that is all the time we have. Rob, good to see you. Raymond, nice to see you. Lisa, good to have you back for the first time this year. Uh, folks, we will be back next week. We're in the heart of the legislative session. If you don't watch us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, we're all over social media. We archive all of our shows at ripbs.org slash lively. Of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So take us along for the ride wherever you go. Uh, We look forward to having you come back next week when The Lively Experiment continues.